1: Thompson, Kyler, Olgan, oh, yeah. Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley and he scores! What a goal from Josh Bird! Kayla Trainer, Slipton scores!
2: You kidding me? By Dylan Ward
1: gets top side
2: Rambo
3: scores!
1: Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson.
4: What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk presented by Fanatics. Today's episode is airing live on Twitter Spaces. We plan to do more of these type of episodes. We did one Recapping the PLL draft and previewing the PLL season, now we're one week under our belts in the PLL, so we're going to talk about week one in the PLL, as well as the NLL Finals, which had its first game of the series as well. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson. Today I'm joined by PLT contributors Parker Blake, Topher Adams, Matt Burgunati, and we're going to be joined by Charlie White shortly as well. I didn't realize that, Matt, you actually were 2021 PLL All-Stars Skills Competition Judge, so we have a competition judge in our midst Um, And this is his first time hopping on for us. But uh, first off, welcome, you guys. Thank you guys for joining me today. You know, we're going to get into the PLL a little bit, but I want to start with the NLL because the NLL actually had a ripple effect kind of going into the PLL. We were missing um, some guys on the Chaos, some guys on the Archers, some guys on the Water Dogs and Dylan Ward. Um, So let's talk a little bit of NLL Finals. Buffalo Bandits, they win game one against the Mammoth. It's a nail-biter. And Zed Williams, a guy missing... Uh, you know, his whip snakes game to play in the finals had actually a, a huge game for the Mammoth. Uh, Mammoth seemed like they would have him on the ropes. Bandits would take a lead and then they would relinquish that lead again. And a large part to Zed Williams, who I was surprised that the Bandits didn't do more to prevent him. And, you know, he didn't have a terrific year in the NLL. Um, he's kind of been spotty here and there, but they're letting him get one-on-one matchups and just bull do- do- dodging people. Um, so surprised they let that happen, but... Uh, bandit's end up scoring on a breakaway goal and putting it away in front of Banditland crowd topher i'll start with you you watched the game what kind of uh, are your thoughts from buffalo and now now that it's, it's a three-game series so short series in the nll but do you think they win game two on the road in colorado or Do you think maybe colorado forces a game three
0: yeah i mean first off i think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the atmosphere in bandit land on saturday that's one of the best lacrosse environments you'll ever see anywhere at any time it was ridiculous it was definitely a heavyweight fight that you'd want in a final setting you know really competitive high scoring like the kind of of game that you want to introduce people to lacrosse with um you know buffalo they've been the team all season long you know they kind of showed it this past game they had josh Byrne and dane smith both big games you know their big two-headed monster really showed up big um You know, they had the the clutch goal late to win the game. I don't know if they get it done in the Loud House out in Denver this week, but, you know, they're definitely – I feel confident saying that they're the favorite, even on the road. Uh, But if, you know, Zed goes off again or, you know, something happens, I could absolutely see this being pushed all the way to a three-game series, even though Buffalo are definitely the favorites in my eyes.
4: You know, and it's interesting, too, with the NLL, it's almost like, you know, if you're a bandit fan, you kind of want to see them win back at home, uh, but you don't want it to go to a game three, so that's always kind of interesting as well, and yeah, it's it's funny because Buffalo's been this juggernaut all season, um, but they've really squeaked out these close games. I mean, Toronto series could have easily gone the other way. You could have seen Toronto win in both those games. Um, you know, they had the pipe that hit with eight seconds left in game one, then they had the goal that. Counted That didn't count because it was a couple milliseconds after the buzzer um, in game two. So they had a straw into the stick. And then here you got the Mammoth that we um, have a chance to win. And, you know, they give up that turn. They turn the ball over and Buffalo goes in transition. We gets that goal and they end up going ahead and eventually winning. And uh, it was kind of ironic, too, that that's how Buffalo won because we're used to Buffalo just scoring these ridiculous, like, highlight reel goals. I mean, you know, you look at – um to Hoda, like, uh you look at Tohoga Nanticoke and how how well he played in this game, uh, seven points I believe in this game. Uh, grew up a Buffalo fan, talked about that when he joined us on the podcast. Just you know his love for his head coach now John Tavares and um, grew on, growing up just dreaming about these moments, and he showed out. Um, so you know it, it's really interesting just to me that that's how Buffalo won and they were able to hang on. So I'm going to need to see more from the defense. I didn't really think Matt Vince played uh, poorly in this game. I just think that defense kind of let him out to dry. Like I said, Zed Williams goals, weren't anything that impressive to me personally. Um, but, uh, yeah, he kept them in this game. Unfortunately they fell a little bit short. Dylan Ward played decent in cage as well. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I honestly think Mammoth maybe get it done in game two. Um, I just, I don't see Buffalo losing this, you know, two games in a row after what we've seen. Um, they've been a team too that, uh, when they have lost games, they bounce back the week after. So, um, you know, I expect them to finish out this series. I just don't know if we will get a game two or game three. Anybody else have any thoughts, Parker? Uh, Matt, you guys got any thoughts on the NLL finals, or are you kind of ready to, to talk some the PLL? I think they're taking a lot of players out of the PLL for two more weeks. They are. <laughs> we hopefully won't get much of overlap like we did this year i thought 2019 worked out really really well um you know where there wasn't an overlap so i would like that to go back to that but uh yeah we'll we'll see how uh things go moving forward um uh, but yeah let's get into the pll we'll go around the horn and just give our initial reactions hot takes quick reactions to week one i'll start with you parker
2: uh i mean i think everyone knows that the atlas kind of came out and were the big dog this week um I can't, you can't short Lyle for what he did, but, I mean, the three-headed monster that Atlas has created is going to be terrible to deal with this year. And, I mean, as a Redwoods fan, we had a shitty week, but uh, I have to say that I Jewel stepping in for Pinnell was kind of
0: fun. Yeah, I mean, my big reaction is just, you know, how close all the teams are in this league. You know, a team like the Water Dogs, we all assume – is a title caliber team with a really balanced roster and they get absolutely walked, you know, in the first half against cannons who were the second worst team in the league last year. And then Chrome against archers, you know, Chrome were really terrible. Most of last season, archers are really good and you see it kind of flips the script in week one. So it just kind of shows you like when the talent level is this high, it goes down to like the little details, an injured player here or there, a little bit of execution. There's those tiny margins and how huge of a difference they make in this league.
4: No, absolutely, and that's why I kind of stayed off, you know, betting-wise from picking a side other than the Whips game, and I ended up getting a bet home because I took them on the money line early. But uh, the pick that I gave out, Whips one minus one and a half, didn't actually pan out. So, again, it's very tough to play sides, and if you guys are interested in betting, we'll have some more betting content for you at later in the week, so definitely check out that Twitter space. Uh, Matt, any, any quick reactions? Do you see any highlight-worthy, you know, top ten, uh, you know, goals this season or this uh, this opening week um any quick reactions to week one
3: well um i was actually at all four of the games this weekend it was actually a great atmosphere the fans really showed up and i thought it was just it was a really really great time um i was super super impressed with uh the chrome i honestly i think the chrome they're going to be a they're not the chrome of last year these guys are the real deal i remember i was watching them warm up and they had so much more energy than the Archers, and they just really impressed me. And I think that the Chrome are the real deal this year. That's my my hot take.
4: No, I like that hot take a lot. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing some of them and coach Sudan for an article that's coming out shortly. And uh, you can just tell that they're really not happy with how the last three seasons have gone. I even talked to him a little bit about, oh, you know, you guys had a, a good 2020. What can you take from that? And like Jordan McIntosh was like, we won, you know, three or four games, lost the first round of the playoffs, like, uh, you know, not much that we can take from 2020. You can tell they're just not happy. And, you know, this, this core, you know, they lost a lot of guys obviously due to retirement, but of McIntosh Rannigan, even though he was a healthy scratch. Um, And even, you know, Jesse Bernhardt stepping in, uh, you know, a few years ago, Um, these veterans, like they want to win. They know that they can win. And uh, they had a lot of the young guys step up and guys that, you know, were only on the team for a little bit last season, like Dylan Malloy, had a big game. Um, so yeah, I, I like that hot take, and uh, I think the Chrome are going to be the real deal, and um, I think you know we're going to see them surprise some people this season. Uh, we'll go to you, Charlie, for the last uh, hot take, quick reaction from Week One. What were your thoughts? For as much like attention as the like
1: attack and like defense get, I think short stick D run the league. I think if you have short sticks that don't get beat one on one, aren't liabilities that you don't have to slide to um that's gonna help your defense a lot because sliding obviously you see all these players are so good at passing and finding open skip lanes that if you're sliding early and often they're gonna find those skip lanes no matter who you're playing it doesn't matter if it's who you think's the worst team in the league or the best team in the league so team at the chrome the atlas who have short sticks that can match up one-on-one with anyone like you saw the chrome uh short sticks go against tom schreiber pretty much like holding to no points um you have that, and then you can push transition with those guys. They're not liabilities in transition. Like you normally in college, you have your shorties who just like play defense, get the ball, at the attack, run off. If your shorties can stay on the field for the first 10, 15 seconds of the shot clock and create offense, like the Atlas did, it's over for other teams. So I think short stick D middies, they need to get love too. I think they're the reason that teams are uh, winning at this
4: moment in the PLO. No, I like that a lot. And my hot take was, or not hot take, but quick reaction. Cause it's very cold take at this point. Was that the Atlas are the real deal, but we're going to talk enough Atlas, I think later. And so to, to your point with the short stick defensive middies, um, yeah, I think the Crohn's group is impressive. We already knew Will Haas healthy is going to be great. So is Tara um, Mike messenger, despite the little blunder at the end, you know, draw on that penalty. Uh, that was a huge mistake and they're lucky that they escaped unscathed because of that. They did give up a goal, um, there, but, uh, you know he plays transition in the NLL for the Saskatchewan Rush, and he looked great out there on defense. Uh, had a goal a backdoor, backdoor cut uh, from uh, Salama um, to give them that go ahead that gave him that goal cushion that they ended up needed needing when he took that penalty. So um, he was impressive. Uh, they also got Pat Lanian who didn't dress. He's another really capable short stick defensive mid. If any of those guys do go down or they need another depth add there for whatever reason so yeah i, I think the chrome's group is very strong i think atlas has a strong group like you said i think the whip snakes um uh, you know I, I think they're strong now that they got ty warner back i think it's going to take them a little bit more time to kind of get comfortable but um i think that's a very good point point. and then you look at the water dogs you know sure they got guys like courier who can play both ways um conrad can play both ways uh, but they were missing Steven and Napoli. That was a big loss for them. Um, and I think you you saw them kind of struggle a little bit, too, uh, with some of these matchups. You know, you had Ashton Nolting had a good two-man game going with uh, Lyle. And, I, you know, we're going to get into that a little bit later. But um, I do think there's some credit to that because in this league, there's so many offensive talent that if they're drawing a short stick matchup, You want to make sure you're comfortable in that short stick defensive midi. So uh, I think that's a very good point by you. But we'll start off with that first game. We alluded to it a little bit with the Whips Chaos. Chaos missing a bunch of key guys. Uh, You had Ian McKay, had that uh, go-ahead assist for the Bandits. Uh, You had Chris Cloutier, had a nice wraparound goal. Josh Byrne was doing some highlight goals. Dane Smith. Max Adler, I think, was the key loss as well for them. Uh, Despite that, Chaos went up 6-2 start this game it took a little while for the Whipsnakes defense to, to wake up. But I thought once they did settle down, they, uh they played pretty well. And Burnlor looked like his old self, but um, let's start with you, Topher thoughts on the Whipsnakes um, and chaos. You got any thoughts on, uh, you know, how this game kind of turned out. It was a low scoring affair. No surprise with blazing net, but uh, any thoughts on this game?
0: Yeah, I got a couple of things. I mean, first off, I think it was a really fantastic defensive performance from both teams. Really? Uh, especially a lot of on-ball guys did really well. I think the, the this big highlight on-ball def- defensive performance was Jared Newman, who really locked down Matt Rambo for most of the game, kind of silenced what he could do. But really, none of the Whipsnakes' attack did all that much, except Chan and Chuck, who obviously had the game winner. And I think he had a hat trick as well. Um, I, I think a, another big takeaway for me, though, was chaos and their replacements on offense. I think the first half, it looked like it'd be smooth sailing. You know, the guys looked pretty well. There was that nice goal with Palasek, the BTB to Wasserman with a little cross crease past the Voight. So for a while, it looked like these guys would be just fine, like no worries at all. But I think as the game went on, you could just tell like the drop off in quality from the Bandit guys and some of those really high level players to kind of a Wasserman guy who's more on the bubble of a roster. like that talent gap really started to show as the game went on trying to go up against, you know, Matt Dunn and Michael Earhart, all these dudes. Earhart, by the way, was insane in this game as well. But, you know, I, I think that level of quality, that drop-off really showed towards the end of the game, and that's why, you know, Snakes were able to come back in the second
4: half. Yeah, and we'll go to you, Charlie, because I know you kind of have similar thoughts on, you know, the Whips offense kind of going through a lull for a little bit, but also, you know, the Chaos defense, you know, really taking it to them that first half.
1: Yeah, I think that without Zed Williams, obviously he's a huge loss. He's probably, I'd say, their best player on offense. Um, but they're too one-dimensional without him. I think having Gutterding and Rambo, both lefty dominant attackmen, playing on the field at the same time, kind of made it easy for the chaos because the chaos, you just saw their defenders just baiting them to go right the entire time, uh, shutting off the left hands. Basically, if Rambo's not getting to his left and Gutterding's not getting to his left, then they would have really no dodging threats outside of Brad Smith. But you saw that the chaos was throwing Jack Rowlett on Brad Smith and throwing a shorty on Jay Carlson and Jay Carlson, for as good as he is, he's not built as much of a Dodger. He did have that one goal where he did a swim move on the shorty. But I think with the Z there, you get another dimension. You get a guy who can get to all of his spots, get the five and five, seven, and seven um, doesn't even need space to operate really. So I think that he changed the entire math of the defense. Uh, the chaos defense is for real too. Like Brett Kennedy, uh, Jared Newman, Jack Rowlett is like as scary, a combo as, I guess you can say in the entire league, um, they they thrive on playing defense where they don't have to slide very often. They just win their one on one matchups, which is obviously what they're doing all all day against the whips. Um, and if in this league, I was kind of alluding to with the shorties, if you don't have to slide to guys, it's gonna be hard for offense to score goals. So I think the chaos defense, they're the real deal. And as soon as they get their their starting guys back, they're they are gonna be another like serious threat to go back to back. So uh, that's the takeaways I got.
4: Yeah, no, I agree, and uh, we mentioned replacement players. I was pretty impressed with uh, Tommy Kelly, you know, getting back in the Chaos lineup, um, you know, doing a good job against Joe Nardella because I really thought that was going to be a a big weakness for the Chaos. That was part of what I thought would, you know, really be their Achilles heel, and he ended up uh, doing pretty well at the stripe, uh, serviceable for them, Um, and, you know, they, they just ended up the whips going a little bit of a run, you know, in that second half and uh kind of tried to claw the way back a little bit. Um, you know, you had it tied up at one point thanks to Mac O'Keefe, you know, looked really great. Um, but I do think the whips, this was an interesting game. I think both offenses, you know, really did struggle because despite chaos going up that six two, you know, they had two pointers to get there. Um so I think it was a little bit of, you know, misconception there. But I think if you're the chaos, you're happy with how this defense played, and sure you're you know it's tough to lose. You never want to lose a game, especially the opening weekend. But when you're missing four of your five offensive starters and then your top face off man and then a versatile you know short stick defensive mini pole. Uh, offensive, whatever you want Ian McKay to be, whenever you need him to be. Um, When you're missing those six guys, I mean, and you you still come away with just a one goal uh, loss. Got to be pretty happy for your coach, Andy Towers. And I'm sure he's hoping for a a bandit's victory this week so he can get those guys back in week three. Um, But we'll move on now to Atlas Redwoods. Uh, This game got a lot of fanfare because I think we all were expecting the Atlas to come out hot. Um, I don't know if we expected them to look this crisp, as they did but uh we'll go to we'll go to you parker um thoughts on this because i know you are a redwoods fan uh what, what do you think think of this game you know both pros and cons uh uh of watching your redwoods lose uh
2: no that one that one hurt man i'm not gonna lie that one really hurt uh but i mean i'd rather lose somebody like that like the Atlas could come out but we look sloppy though the redwoods, redwoods were really sloppy on d and really just didn't get the offensive production that i thought they would Really, the only highlight was Jules playing X, but that's pretty much all I saw that I was happy about that game, hoping we come back against the Chrome, but it's not gonna be very fun either so
4: yeah that'll, that'll be a good game. I think it's gonna be interesting to to see how uh you know this uh Redwoods offense kind of bounces back against the Chrome defense it looked pretty solid uh, you had similar sentiments, topher, so kinda of talk to me what you saw from the Redwoods defense that was. Um, you know, kind of a head scratcher. We thought they were going to perform a little bit better. And sure, give this offense credit. There's a lot of talent on that roster, but um, not their best effort.
0: Yeah, no, I think this was a really poor performance and really a, just a poor matchup for Redwoods defense. I, I think they were getting picked apart off ball. A lot of open shots for, you know, Chris Gray and Jeff T. Obviously those guys are great. And, you know, playing with guys like Eric Law, they're going to be a lot of high opportunities. But I think there was a lot of, poor playoff ball and a lot of undisciplined, undisciplined play at times. Um, and, and really, some of these Redwoods defensive issues have been quietly lurking under the surface for a while now. Um, Josh Schaefer from the PLL in an article last week point out the Redwoods had the second worst defense per possession in terms of points allowed per other opposing teams' offensive possessions in the league last season. You know, that kind of got hidden a little bit because TD Erland wins two-thirds of his faceoffs more often than not. But I think in this game, when Trevor Baptiste was so dominant, it really showed just how poor Redwood's defense can be at times. And I think we might see some changes moving forward. You know, obviously John Sexton at LSM being injured is an enormous loss, kind of an underrated loss because he's one of the best purely defensive LSMs in the world. But I could see potentially some changes in personnel to try and solve some issues, maybe put Apple at LSM to kind of let him roam more doesn't have the responsibility of going up against the Jeff Teat type of player, maybe move Arden Cohen down to close because he, he actually did fairly well at LSM, but that's just not his natural area of the field. And so, so some, some changes need to be made. And obviously, you know, week one against that attack line is not a great way to start things with a new kind of revamped defensive unit. But a lot of changes need to come in terms of execution and potentially personnel.
4: Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised if they do try to move Cohen a little bit around. And, you know, to their to, to the point, I know the Redwoods are a little bit more established, but we did see the Water Dogs go through a lot of different rotations uh, of defensive personnel the first couple weeks till they finally found the one that they fit. You know, they had Burns running at LSM, didn't even play Randall in week one, um, and then they kind of switched up a, real, a little bit, found Gobrick, Randall, and Burns as the line that worked for them, and obviously they didn't have a great showing this week, but um, worked for them la- well last year, so I kind of agree with that. You might see a little bit of shuffling, uh, Matt. I know you want to talk a little bit about the Atlas short stick defensive middies and how their defense played. So I'll let you, you know, kind of touch on that a little bit.
3: Yeah, um, I was I was super impressed with Peter Darth, Danny Logan. I think they those those guys are the best are the best short stick defensive midfield unit in the league. And I think that you know Charlie was talking about how important it is, and the Atlas have the best unit in the league. And it just – it helps your entire defense. And your defense is only as good as your weakest link. If you have a short safety Midi out there who's just not very good, constantly losing his one-on-one matchup, then your defense is going to slide. They're going to struggle because the players in the PLL, you know, they're so talented, so, so, so gifted that they can find those skip passes when the slide's coming. So when you don't have to slide, it obviously – it creates a great defense. So those short stick defensive middies were so impressive to me. And I'm a face off guy. I absolutely loved watching this face off battle too between Baptiste and Erlen. You know they were the two best last year. I think they were both at sixty five percent. Also, um, on a side note, I think the Redwoods would have been the Whip Snakes last year if Erlen wasn't hurt. But uh, yeah, I was I I loved that face off matchup. And uh, Baptiste had a great day against him. And I didn't think he'd be as dominant as he was. And it was just awesome to see. But when Baptiste plays like he does, and if he's doing that against Erlen, he could do that against everyone in the league and even better than that. So I think that dialists are so scary. That yeah, two bomb from Baptiste, either.
4: Yeah, that was, a, I mean, that was the confidence to take that, too. You know, making him a threat on offense is, uh, is definitely scary. And we know we didn't even talk really about this attack line. So Charlie, I'll let you wrap up this game with talking about this offense that we saw of the Gray, Teat, and Law lineup.
1: Yeah, everyone always likes to talk about Teat and Chris Gray as like these like crazy dodgers, which obviously they're very good at dodging, but they're like the most uh unselfish and best off ball attack unit in the entire league. Like Eric Law, like you saw a couple of his goals where he was just in the right spot at the right time. Gray and Teat did all the work. Um, there was one where Gray, I think, uh, no looked at him. He looked at teeth the entire time. and Then law was just open wide backside, but all three of those guys just seem to be in the right spot every single time, no matter what. And for them to be that good, like that cohesive after just, you know, three, four days of practice together is very scary. I think we touched on that was, uh, like how scary they are at all. positions in the field, but the Redwoods to me, they just look way too robotic on all sides of the field. Like, they, they were, It seems like they were taught a defense like the first year in the league and they kind of stuck to that defense the entire time. Like, they got a lot of talent and everyone always talks about that. Everyone's like, oh, the Redwoods have probably one of the most talented rosters in the league. How come they've, you know, fallen on their face in the playoffs every single year? Well, it's because of stuff like that. Like, they're going to slide regardless. They're switching everything. Like, there was, there was times where a lot more times than there should have been where shorties were just on Jeff T and Chris Gray. And and that, that, that's you're asking to get goals scored on you at that point. So I think they got to play a little more free, a little less like stagnant on a defense. Um, another thing, they weren't getting on hands of Tete, Gray, Law, Costabile, all those guys. They were just letting them kind of sit back and dissect the entire defense. So they need to switch that up uh, sooner rather than later, or else they're going to start getting blown out by teams that can pass the ball well.
4: Yeah, no, and I, I'm glad we're giving Eric Law some love because I know there was some talk, you know, and this is no disservice to Caraway, who was a healthy scratch, because um, I think he's a top player too. But people saying that they should have rolled out a line of Caraway, Gray, and T are missing the impact that, um, that that Eric Law has on this offense as an off-ball threat. Like, you know, you have two quarterbacks balanced in the field. You don't need another ball dominant attackman. You need a guy finishing around, and Eric Law is the best. Off ball attacking we have seen this past decade he's done he did it with the outlaws, won three championships with them um he's doing it on the Atlas you know now seeing having these two complementary pieces and like you said, you know Jeff teat and Chris Gray they're not just dodgers they're off ball guys too they're selfless they they throw great skip passes and stuff too so yeah I, this is one of the things where like everyone's talking about the Atlas offense like oh looks unstoppable like I don't think we I don't think this is a knee jerk reaction to week one. I, I think this is a lot more to come from this uh, going forward. And I think they're beatable still. You know, it's the PLO. Anybody can win any given day. But, um, you know, it, I, I got my Atlas future in this weekend uh, right after that because because I I think their value is going to decrease pretty quickly. I think they look great, and I don't think it's going to um, stop anytime soon. But uh, we'll move on now to Water Dogs Cannons. This one was a little bit interesting. A lot of people were, you know i and the water dogs thought they would win they were the favorites going in this game um cans came out and kind of punched them in the mouth a little bit the start they they had a better second half but uh it was definitely uh the Cannons' show for the first half uh, go back to you charlie you know talk a little bit about uh you know the x factor in this game between the cannons and the water dogs
1: well the biggest thing for the cannons right away is they were pushing transition like early and often the water dogs were getting a lot of uh, easy shots, not easy shots, Morocco, Nick Morocco, the goalie for the Cannons, getting a lot of easy saves. And uh, he was making some great outlet passes too, which led to easy transition. And for as good as the Water Dogs' defense is, if you're if you're letting fast break opportunities go every time that other team has the ball, they're going to score on you eventually. And the Cannons were shooting like 80% right off the bat. So that was probably the biggest reason the game got out of hand so quickly. But the reason like the Waterdogs – weren't really able to come back because obviously Nick Morocco, I think he was the best player in the field this weekend. Uh, he made some great saves, but they just get too stagnant when Sour's the ball on a stick on offense. I think they just kind of, it's, it's like that, like that thing in 2K where you're just like, Oh, right, give it to LeBron and let him cook. Like, no, like you got to actually move off ball. Sour is one of the best dishers in the PLO. So you got to let him dodge, find open space and he'll find you. But I saw a lot of people just standing around, not really doing anything, which Obviously, Sowers is really good, but he's going to get slid to every every so often. So, I think that's kind of the main point of emphasis I would say for the Water Dogs moving forward. The Cannons, obviously, Lyle is incredible. Uh, what he hit his point prop in the first eight minutes of the game, three and a half goal, uh, three and a half points. He, hit, he had four in the first eight minutes. Um, Water Dogs just let him get to his spots. Like seven, seven for Lyle is just automatic. He's going to either score or assist every single time he gets there. Uh, towards the end of the game, he didn't really have any points because the Water Dogs were pressing him out. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact they were by six, seven goals at a time, so you didn't really need to press anything. But if you want to like stop this Cannons offense, you're going to need to make it hard for Lyle to actually do Lyle things. Um, they got a lot of contributions from the other guys. Ryan Jenner played great. Rafis didn't really unlock himself yet, which is kind of scary because Rafus is probably one of their best daughters. Um, but yeah, the Cannons are just very well coached. They're very disciplined. They move the ball well. Uh, when Morocco playing like that, they're going to be a tough team to beat no matter who they play. But the one thing I will say, that defense is the biggest worry for me uh, before the season started. We didn't see much of that defense have to play a lot of six on six because the Water Dogs tried to match pace early on. Um, so that's one thing I'd look for in the Atlas game. Uh, I think they can be a lot more six on six opportunities. And um, if they can hold up against the Atlas, then they can be as dangerous a team as any in this league. But um, that's the big thing I'm looking for.
4: Yeah, no, I agree, and uh, I thought the Cans looked great in that first half, um, but I do think Waterhouse kind of played in their hand a little bit. They were very sloppy on offense. Um, we saw they came out in the second half, ended up, you know, go, going on 6-4 run in that second half. Uh, wasn't enough to get the win, but um, in terms of, you know, both both games, you know, we we saw the Atlas win by six. We saw the Cans win by six. I think that the Atlas his win was more impressive against the Redwoods than I would say the cans against the water dogs. Unfortunately, Matt DeLuca didn't play too well in this game in place of Dylan Ward, but his defense didn't really help him out that much. And again, garden Lyle Thompson, there was one goal where Lyle just did an amazing move on burns. And, you know, all you can do is just put your hands up in the air. If you're burns, (laughs) you know, you played as well as you could. Um, So, yeah, you know, I liked what I saw from the Cans. You know, I think they're going to be a chippy uh, team that's going to really grind out some wins, kind of like they were last year. I thought Stephen Kelly looked really well, good, um, going up against Jake Withers, so I was very impressed with his play because you know, he's hovered around that 50%, a little bit sub-50% the past couple seasons. That's kind of why he got dealt from the Archers, and um, Cans obviously viewed him as an upgrade, and I think he is an upgrade at the strike for them. And Alex Woodall too, if they decide to, you know, employ him uh, as a two-face-off system, I, I think he's a good uh, combo to go with Stephen Kelly, um, and I love. For, for Caro is a great fit on this offense as well. Um, but I, I do worry about the cans a little bit. Um, and I do think the Water Dogs, you know, if they can clean up the mistakes, um, I'd like to see maybe Sowers run out midfield again. Like you know, I know you want Sowers on the field, but he played well in that uh, semifinal game against the Whip Snakes. I think because he was getting those shorty mashups a little bit more, and they were getting a little more creative. Um, you know, they struggled with him in the lineup. To start the season last year and again it's too early kind of he hasn't played enough for us to kind of make these you know knee-jerk reactions to I want to see him a little bit more on attack but um, I don't think it's a bad idea to maybe move him around the field a little bit more try some other things out get a little bit more motion offense and get you know Ryan Brown in the shooting spaces um, but that's kind of my reaction I, I do think the Atlas win this game against Kansas. and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to our previews but um, yeah I, I do think that the Cannons uh, um, aren't necessarily super impressive after this i think it was a good win for them um still you know love tyson bell in the nll a little too undisciplined at playing the field there's too much space for him to kind of overcommit sometimes so that kind of worries me i feel like the atlas could kind of expose that um but we'll see what happens in week two uh, and then we'll go to the final game of the week we'll recap and then we'll go into our game we'll go into fantasy actually and then we'll go into our game previews but let's go archers chrome i'll go to you matt in this game, you know, you talked about how you really thought the Chrome looked dialed in. They obviously came away with a victory, holding on for dear lights at the end there. But what do you see from this Chrome team that impressed you in week one?
3: Um, I think that they just – they always had a lot of energy. And now, you know, they're fully healthy. They got all their short stick d middies back. You said Haas is back. He, he's a stud. They just – JT Giles-Harris, he was super impressive. I think that now that they're healthy, they have their pieces and they – are like oh, a complete team now because they were missing guys all over the place last year. So now that they're a full team, I think that they also they seem to have like a really good connection with each other. If that makes sense, like when I was just watching them, they seem to just have a lot more energy. They seem to just like they looked like they were just having fun. Like the archers, they like in the pregame warm-ups, they were looking at what the Chrome were doing which I thought was, like, really interesting. Like, the Chrome would never look at the Archers. The Archers were look at the Chrome. So that's when I knew, like, this was going to be a good game, and the Chrome had a really good chance. But, um, yeah, I just thought the Chrome was super impressive. I thought Connor Farrell played pretty well. Uh, he's got to get a little better with the ball and his stick. But, uh, yeah, I just – I think that all those young guys on the Chrome, on their offense – Uh, they're going to start piecing it together as the season goes on, as they get more comfortable in the PLL style, because obviously it's a lot faster than college. So, you know, guys like Nick Turn and Wisnowskis, they're going to get in their stride eventually. And they played well, but they haven't hit their potential, and that's the scary part. So I'm looking, like, towards the middle of the season, end of the year. When they hit their stride, I I think there's going to be a really scary team.
4: Yeah, I, I do too. And, you know, I feel like I'm a little biased because I've kind of slowly become a Chrome fan. I don't know. Maybe I love the lovable losers or whatever. But um, now that they kind of look a little bit better going forward and haven't talked to, you know, some of them, it's it's interesting. Like, a lot of these pieces are very complimentary. You talked about Nick Turn and Wisnowskis, you know, them landing both those guys in the draft uh, was perfect for this offense. You fill that void with Wolf. You fill that void that, you you know, when you trade away Gutty. Um, you have Dylan Malloy on that right side. He looked great. Um, he looks like, you know, his former self twenty sixteen Toriton um finalist, you know, that he was. And uh, you know, I yeah, I overall I thought the Chrome looked good. I think they have to be a little bit more disciplined down the stretch. Um, but I thought it was a good showing from them and I'm really impressed with Sean Scannoni as well. Not only him making, you know, I think eleven saves in this game, but uh his outlet passes looked good. He he pushed in transition um and, and nice to see jordan mcintosh who i don't know if he's a new father just yet like it sounds like he was pretty close they might have had the baby right after that game um but he was very impressive in that win as well one of the captains um tofer I, I hope i didn't steal under your thunder i know you want to talk a little bit of archers too though um but uh what were your thoughts from this game and kind of what you saw from the chrome winning and as well as the archers uh you know their new pieces
0: Yeah, quick final note on the Chrome, you know, it was kind of already mentioned, but like I freaking loved watching JT Giles Harris out there. As far as like a pure 1v1 cover guy, like he's gonna make a case for best in the league in that role. Like he can match sheet with anybody. You know, he's super strong, despite being a little bit shorter than a lot of defensemen. That dude's gonna be a beast. I I loved watching him. And he's gonna solve so many defensive problems for Chrome by just being so good against guys. But, you know, kind of Archers, this was one of the worst performances we've seen from Archers in a little bit. I mean, especially compared to last season in the opener when they just blitzed Atlas like 18 to six and were just humming. And a lot of that is down to just Grant Ament is one of the five best players in the league and he wasn't available. And that's obviously going to be a huge loss no matter what. But, you know, Tom Schreiber didn't do basically anything in this game. I don't even know if he had a point. Someone can check me, but I don't. He didn't did didn't do very much. You know, the defense, you know, was kind of sloppy, made some mistakes, and got in the penalty box a little bit. Um, but I think one of the things I really liked was the rookie uh, Hopkins uh, Connor Day Simone kind of playing in that midfield inverted role, and that's something that they really needed since twenty nineteen. You know, back in twenty nineteen, they had Christian Cuccinello and Joey Sankey, who they got in a trade from Redwoods, who would kind of be in that second midfield line and be able to invert and get their own shot you know create a goal by themselves at x and you know they got grant amet to play primary at x but they didn't have anybody else who could go behind the cage and get a goal and he showed that you know he scored two goals that exact same way just took a short stick behind the cage and toasted them and having that kind of extra dimension to their offense could really unlock things for this kind of depth of scoring once grant amet comes back but yeah archers kind of struggled for me but You know, once Amak gets back, maybe they'll kind of find their rhythm again.
4: Yeah, I think that definitely missed him. Um, And, you know, I I thought that, you know, Dee Simone looked really good um, for his debut. I thought Matt Moore was going to do a little bit more. I think it's going to take him a little bit more time to get comfortable. Schreiber did have one assist, uh, but definitely not his greatest day. And I think I just saw a tweet by Joe Keegan that said – two for 11 on assist opportunities that the archers converted on. So there were some chances for Schreiber to get more points. Um, his teammates just kind of let him down a little bit, but uh, yeah, definitely not a good showing by them. Um, I do think, you know, missing aim hurts them. Connor Fields also, you know, missing him a little bit. He's playing with the bandits in the finals. And then you have Warren Jeffrey playing with the mammoth too, one of their starting defenders. They had, you know, three poles running in this game. Um and only two close defenders, so you know I I think they're missing a little bit of some key pieces too. It's almost like you know we talk about how much the chaos are missing, but even like one or two guys can make a big difference. You saw with the water dogs missing Ward, you saw that with Zed Williams' absence on the whip, whip Snakes. So you know when those guys get those guys back, it, it will definitely be uh, a little bit more interesting to see how they do. Uh, but we also retreated this summer now to fantasy lacrosse. Uh, there's been some fantasy lacrosse challenges in the past. We did our own in 2019. We tried it with the NLL a little bit too. Uh, finally, official fantasy game by the league, by the PLL. I'll turn it over to you, Parker, because you have our top stat leaders for this first week. Talk a little bit about who had the most points this week for player uh, Royale and the PLL and your thoughts kind of on fantasy so far.
2: No, I I I enjoy the fantasy aspect of it, but I, I have to laugh because my first buddy that like we challenged each other, I guess we set the exact same lineup, so we tied this week. So hate that part, but I like the I like the idea. Um, but no, so the top five performers uh, this week were T with thirty one points. Then Morocco came in at number two with thirty, and then like you were saying, Law had a huge impact. He had twenty nine points. Thompson had twenty eight, and then Baptiste with twenty six and. Um, 26-and-a-half-ish, kind of the top five guys out there. And then you had guys like Henningberg, who had four goals but fell out because he had three turnovers, and that really kills you. Um, But the one that really jumped out to me was uh, Salama from the Chrome. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, he had a a stat in almost every single category because he had the two-bomb, he had an assist, he had a cost turnover, had a ground ball just to do it. I mean, he filled out almost every category except giving up a turnover. And getting a one point goal, so um, I do. I do want to do a shout out to Blaze because Blaze is my man. Always helps me catch my unders, um, and I really thought when he pulled out eighteen points off of his thirteen save game that he was going to be the goalie of the week. And then Morocco decided he wanted to be that guy. So, um, but yeah, no, I really, I really love how they're
4: doing it. I just hope it keeps going. Yeah, no, and it's interesting too with the tier system because uh, you think that you'd only be able to start like. Uh one tier one guy, but actually, like the most interesting thing is you start two tier one two tier twos, and that tier three is very key because those are the you know the the lower tiers of these guys, not that they're lower players, you can find a lot of value, but finding that guy, you know, like a Eli Salama, who's probably a tier three guy but had a great week, that can really push you over the edge but uh, I know you had some thoughts as well tofer
0: yeah, I think for me, some of the big takeaways are like which positions are kind of more favored in this fantasy scoring system. So to me, like defense, especially, and to a lesser extent, face-off guys are a much lower priority most more often than not with the way the fantasy system worked out. I mean, you saw the top scorers. There was like one guy in the top 10 who had a long pole and it was Salama, you know. So I think it's really important to find value with defensive guys and faceoff guys, as opposed to putting those as your priority spots. Then on the flip side, you need one of the high volume goalies like Blaze, like Nick Barocco, because when you, those guys get like 15 plus saves at, let's say, say, like 60% or so, like that's an absolute bomb in fantasy. So you absolutely need one of those high high volume goalies like a Blaze Reardon or a Nick Barocco.
4: Yeah, Matt, you know, let's talk a little bit offensive side a little bit. I know you have some thoughts on the face-off as well, but in terms of setting a fantasy lineup.
3: Yeah. um, So, my biggest takeaway was, I think you need to prioritize attackmen in the lineups. Like, Jeff Teat, he had 31, Lyle had 28. Those are two of, well, they are the top two MVP candidates, and they showed it in their fantasy games. I mean, in their fantasy game. So, six of the 11 top performers, top performers were attackmen this week. So I think that just shows, like, you got to focus on the offense. And, you know, like Topher said, there's, there's only one guy with a pole in the top 11, and it's just you got to priori- prioritize the attackmen, and then you got to try to look for polls who have the two-point threat in them because, you know, if a pole – if you get a tier three defenseman who's a two-point threat and he – hits a bomb, then he has a good week in fantasy, you know. And um, something I also thought was Baptiste, he had 26.6 points. You know, I know he had the assist, to he had the two-point goal, and he also, he just played really well against TD Ireland, who is the second-best Fogo in the league. So if he can do that performance against TD, then he can do that against anyone or better, like I said earlier. So I think that Baptiste, he's a guy – if you want to prioritize Fogo, he's got to be like the top of the list. So um, I would probably use a tier one spot on him every single week. Cause he, if he's putting up those numbers against the second best Fogo, what's he going to do against the worst Fogo, you know? And he's also a transition threat. So he, he's going to get his points.
4: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, that point as well, you know, again, it's it's going to depend still a little bit on matchup. But I think for me, I, I started Nardella and I played the matchup thinking he's going to go up against, you know, Tommy Kelly hasn't been, you know, played in a while. It's not Max Adler. Um, and he didn't do as well. And a lot of it, too, had to do with volume. You know, obviously, it was a low scoring game. So less opportunities for Nardella to get points. Whereas we know this Atlas offense is going to put up points no matter what. So that also makes Baptiste very advantageous because, you know, he's going to get a lot of Face offs attempts. So um, that's definitely something to consider. Not always based on, you know, looking at matchups. Not bad to look at matchups, but you saw what Baptiste did even going against TD Erland, the top two face off guys in the league. So um, definitely a good point by you guys. And that will wrap up our fantasy lacrosse focus section of the platform of the podcast. Um, and then we'll move on to the game previews. And these will be a little bit quicker than our game recaps, but we'll start off with Chrome versus Redwoods. I'll go with you, Topher, to start. Um, what are you kind of thinking in this game? Who do you like in this game and, uh, what matchups are you kind of looking for?
0: Yeah, definitely looking to see what personnel looks like for Redwoods. Is Pennell healthy? You know, he said that he came back later in the game, but is he fully healthy? Does Jules stay at attack? Do they do that kind of pole rotation, moving Apple to LSM, maybe moving Cohen down low? And then for, uh, for Chrome, you know, can their offense move the ball a little better? You know, it was okay last game, but can it be a little better? And then what does Wisnowskis kind of have his breakout? You know, didn't do too much in week one, but that's kind of to be expected. He only had like one practice. So after a week to kind of settle in, does he have his breakout game? I expect Chrome to probably sneak out a win, but I think it'll be closer than the week one Redwoods game, definitely.
4: Yeah, no, tend to agree with that. I'm interested to see how the Chrome transition goes against the woods and uh you know if these woods offensive uh middies and attackmen can really beat chrome short sticks um the one thing i, I will look for is you know are the Redwoods gonna again prioritize the two ball a little bit get their their options there um and we'll see if Pennell's healthy because that's also a, a big reason whether this offense runs well or not um go to ks archers now that's the next game charlie we'll have you kind of preview that one a little bit uh You know, this is obviously the game that's been the Achilles heel for the Archers for quite some time, knocked them out of the playoffs the past two seasons. Thoughts on this game?
1: Uh, This game, like the outcome really comes down to, for me at least, if Amen's healthy or not. Um, I think he adds a completely other dimension to that offense. Uh, He's a really hard player to guard one on one, obviously. So uh, the the chaos defense is strictly win your matchup one on one, don't slide, uh, force teams to shoot low, low percentage shots on blaze because he's obviously the best goal in the league so if they can get Ament back and he can kind of take advantage of that matchup they're, they're going to give him some looks so if he's back it's going to be tough it's not tough but i think it's gonna be a lot closer game than um people think and i think the chaos offense i think their six on six offense has to be a lot better uh, i think after a week of playing in the actual game speed plo environment cause a lot of these players came from the player pool uh it'll be a lot better they'll mesh a lot better Um, But I think this game is going to be really close. I I really don't know who I'm going to pick to win this game yet, but um, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think.
4: Yeah, no, and uh, betting-wise, another low total at 22.5. Obviously, love betting those unders when Blazin's in goal. It's tough, though, at 22.5 because it's already a low total. There, but uh, some more betting stuff we'll discuss on Bet on Lacrosse take later. The this week. Blaze, man. You gotta take the under with Blaze, man. Yeah, you got to take the under with Blaze. You got to take the under. I know, I know. Parker loves his under, especially when Blaze is playing. He's got his machine that he has for uh, predicting his picks. So definitely check out, give him a follow at Parker Blake sixty. Uh, for more on, on that, and we'll hopefully have him on Battle on Lacrosse this week as well. And then we'll go to Cannon's Atlas. This game is interesting to me. Betting-wise, Atlas, two-and-a-half-point favorites, which is very rare in the PLL. Um, you know, you see multi-point spreads in the college game. Most pro games, it's one-and-a-half-point spreads, kind of like, at you know, in hockey and baseball in terms of a run line and a puck line. Um, This is only the 10th time we've seen a team be two-and-a-half-point favorites in the past two years, so that just gives you kind of, uh, you know, a good – way of saying the Atlas are heavily favored in this game but uh, I'll go to you Matt thoughts on the cannons and their chances in this game and you know, the Atlas and how they match up against the cannons
3: um well obviously we all know how good the Atlas looked against the Redwoods but I think that the cannons they look good against the water dogs in the first half they actually lost the second half when the water dogs and Jake Withers could even the face-off battle the cannons they started the game against the water dogs i think they were like 11 for 11 or something ridiculous like that stephen kelly was having a great game and he started off fast they were actually up i believe it was two nothing before the water dogs even had the ball on offense so the face-offs in the beginning of the game just they absolutely dominated and then you know they went up it one because the water dogs barely had the ball they kind of kept winning faceoffs, pushing transition and they were just breaking down that defense and Stephen Kelly is not going to be able to do that against Trevor Baptiste. So the Cannons, they're not going to have that advantage that they had against the Water Dogs. And I I just, I'm not sure that the Cannons will have a really great shot to win this game, especially if Stephen Kelly, well, Stephen Kelly is the difference maker in this game. In my opinion, he needs to go like at least 40, 45% against Baptiste or else uh, I don't think they have the greatest chance to win.
4: Yeah, no, and uh, I do think this game is going to be a little bit lopsided. I just don't trust the Kansas defense enough. I hopefully they'll have Brody Merrill back in the lineup because I think he, being the field general out there, is it, big. And I'm surprised it didn't start him. Maybe you know Coach Gork thought he wanted to see what he had. Um, maybe give Brody some rest too. He's obviously getting up there and coming off a grueling NLL season, so um, no, no worries there. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I uh, Tyson Bell is a player like, I like. Again, I love him in the NLL. It was a great interview when we had him on the podcast. Just hasn't impressed me so far in the PLL this past couple of years. It's just he's a little too aggressive. And that, you know, it, it benefits him sometimes. You obviously see him push in transition and it p- pays off sometimes. But um, I think that the Atlas might be targeting him this weekend and, uh, you know, for the r- wrong reasons if you're the Canon. So definitely going to be interesting to see betting wise you know again, not a betting podcast here, but Parker, you love your two and a halfs did the canons have a shot to you know make this a game, pull it within you know two two and a half uh make it close, or um you know is this one of the rare chances times when you're actually leaning in the two and a half point favorite direction
2: I mean I always have to I always have to lock in on the two and a half, especially after what we saw last year and how that hit. It was like what they missed twice maybe particularly. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. big thing that we that well, that I noticed last year when I was doing just kind of my end of the year looking through trends and everything that happened was like a large number of the games were within a point. Like you were losing by the hook if you were taking the minus almost every single week. So, I mean, just personally, I mean, the plus was hitting almost every single game last year and the two and a half was even more likely. So I'm always going to play a plus two and a half whether my gut tells me to or not.
4: So Parker is on the two-and-a-half still. Um, I'm going to go the other direction. I think, you know, the Alice is going to be a – I don't want to say a blowout. There's really not many blowouts in PLO, but I do think the Alice are going to have a big day against the Cannons. And now we'll move to the final game of the weekend, Whipstakes versus the Waterdogs. Waterdogs are without Dylan Ward. Whipstakes are without Zed Williams. Um, You know, obviously both are looking to return to form, even though the Whips got the win, wasn't very super impressive against a depleted chaos team. Waterdogs obviously came out stronger in the second half, but still not a complete game. Charlie, do you think both these teams kind of correct some mistakes from week one or I see a little bit more of the same with their absences?
1: I think this game is going to come down to which offense can shift quicker um, obviously, the Water Dogs. I think their offense was stale because they were watching Sowers the whole time. And the Whips, they couldn't really find offense without Zed Williams dodging from the right side. So, whatever coach can make the better adjustments is going to come out and win this game. Because I think the Whips looked slow on both defense and offense. Uh, so, same with the Water Dogs. is going to play a huge factor in this game too. So, I think whatever team can get out there, force unsettled situation, trap some offensive midfielders on defense. Uh, that's where the real advantage is going to come. So I really don't have a side for this game yet. I really can't, like, put my, uh, put my finger on who's going to win this game. But I think whatever team can uh, win in those two categories is going to come out victorious.
4: No, definitely. I think it's going to – this one's an interesting one for me. I don't know either if I can pick a side because I could see their team kind of having a big day, um, you know, and you could also see defenses having a big day as well. Matt, you got thoughts on this game, this Water Dogs-Whips game?
3: yeah um last year when the water dogs played the whips in the regular season um zed williams didn't play and the water dogs just had a really really good game and they beat them by i forget the exact amount but they beat them by a lot and i think mm-hmm. the whips uh, this whips offense without zed is just it just doesn't scare me and i think the water dogs will bounce back here so personally i'll be taking the water dogs but uh yeah, I think I think the WHIPS with no Zed is a much bigger loss than the Water Dogs without Dylan Ward.
4: Yeah, I uh, I think I tend to agree with you, just because I feel like goalies don't have as huge of an impact. I think, you no, know, definitely having Dylan Ward and Cage will get you a few more saves for sure. But um, you know, he didn't have that great of a beginning of the year either. Then um, he really came on strong late in the season. I'm going to be interested to see if the WHIPS really mix it up on. Offense personnel wise, um, obviously, you know, they have some young guys that uh, they can kind of plug in. You know, weak Jackal boys didn't play, what didn't dress. Um, I, I just think they have a lot of attackmen converted to be that it could play around with. We thought we were going to see more Brad Smith on attack, and we didn't see as much as we had thought, but they still have Chris Nislandian who didn't dress. Um, he's played attack for the Denver Outlaws in previous seasons. Uh, they could move Jackson Reed around a little bit. He kind of had a nice rookie debut. Um, Connor Kirst, you can move him to attack if you want. I don't know what they're going to do. I just think they're going to throw a little bit more different looks um, than what we're used to seeing. And But I do expect the Waterdogs' defense to play a little bit better than they did, and hopefully their offense can kind of eliminate the mistakes going into this as well. Um, but that's going to do it for us on this episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. I appreciate everyone hopping on with me. Um, this is great talking. We're really going to try to do this every week, like I said. Uh, reminder, if you guys enjoy this episode – don't already subscribe to the podcast version. Go ahead and subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, We're going to try to do more interviews with pro players and coaches as well, like we have in the past. Um, So they won't probably be every week, but it's still going to be a big part of pro lacrosse talk going forward. Um, And those will be on our podcast feed as well as YouTube channel. Um, And if you're interested too in the gamification a pro lacrosse, you know, we have bet on lacrosse coming out this week. We're also working on fantasy lacrosse podcast, maybe bringing that back in some capacity as well. So you kind of got a tease of that with our fantasy lacrosse focus segment uh, this week. Obviously we're excited about PLL player Royale and playing that every week, but I want to thank everyone for joining me. Thank you, Tofer, Matt, Charlie, and Parker for joining me this week. Thank you guys all for listening. If you tune in a little bit late, you can check out the full episode on podcast on Pro Lacrosse Talk, any podcast stream. We'll also have the reporting up on Twitter spaces as well. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great week and enjoy these games this upcoming weekend.